Welcome back, everyone, to 420 Pod. 420 Pod is presented by the 420 Clinic, a medical cannabis resource center in southern Alberta. The 420 Clinic acts as a liaison between patients and doctors, and also offers educational resources to anyone who wishes to learn more about the potential health benefits of proper cannabis use. You can visit us online at 420clinic.ca or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Today's episode is all about mental health. Much like cannabis, the topic of mental health has seen a large shift in stigma over the last few years. We're going to start with a recap of mental health awareness and then talk about how cannabis plays into all of this. There are some conditions that can benefit from medical cannabis. Other conditions like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder are actually made worse by cannabis use. It's instances like this that show us how important cannabis education truly is. Although I do have some personal experience, which I will share later in the show, I'd like to open things up with an article from BuzzFeed News all about Mental Health Awareness Week which runs through the first week of October. The conversation around mental health has recently begun to shift. Instead of viewing mental health struggles as shameful secrets, people are slowly growing more and more comfortable admitting that they're not okay, sharing their experiences, and most importantly, seeking professional help. We've come an incredibly long way from just a few years ago when even talking about mental health outside of the clinical and abstract felt revolutionary. You no longer have to dig into niche websites to find regular mental health coverage. Self-care, mental health days, and therapy are all a comfortable part of our cultural vocabulary. And to be honest with the way 2017 has been going, sometimes it can feel like you're in the minority if you're not struggling with feelings of depression, anxiety, or at least some heavy existential dread. But even with a widespread acceptance of mental health as something that can and should be openly discussed, the stigma is far from gone. Certain disorders and experiences still fall to the wayside because they're less common, less palatable, or less relatable. We're still hungry for accurate, compassionate, and diverse depictions of mental illness in the media. We can still push conversations about depression, anxiety, self-care, and general mental health to be more inclusive, more frequent, more comfortable. And just because we're talking about mental health treatment doesn't mean it's always easy or accessible. Where mental health is concerned, there will always be more to talk about. I'd like to thank Anna Borges of BuzzFeed News for that introduction to Mental Illness Awareness Week. If you do find yourself feeling trapped by a mental illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, Alzheimer's, or countless others, one of the biggest reliefs can be learning that you're not alone. You have resources at your disposal that you can use to empower yourself. Many people and programs are in place to support you during your fight. Here in Calgary, those in need can access resources from the Canadian Mental Health Association, that's the CMHA, the Calgary Counseling Center, the Stress Center Calgary, and the Breaking Free Foundation, to name a few. 
To speak more on the topic of mental illness and how cannabis can help is the medical director here at 420 Clinic, Dr. Ife Abiola. Here's a clip of my conversation with the doctor on mental health and cannabis. So I'd now like to welcome to the program, Dr. Ife Abiola. Good morning, everybody. So this is actually the third time we've had Ife on the program. He's in kind of third time in three episodes. Turning yep. into a bit of a regular. You can even add podcast host to your LinkedIn page. Right? I already, I already have. It might be a bit of a downgrade for you being a doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> let's start with the stigma associated with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's easier to discuss mental health? Uh, this day and age compared to in the past? Well, I think part of it is just it's very difficult to see a pathology with the technology we had in the past. Like it's, it was very difficult, let's say, 40 years ago to say, yeah, we looked through a microscope and we found depression in this person. I think now with the different uh, treatment modalities that we have, we can see different improvements. There's different ways to diagnose. And of course, with things like social media, uh, we're way more open with our issues and people are way more likely to approach their physician about, uh, let's say, depression or anxiety or something along those lines. Yeah, because like even you go back like 20, 30 years, people weren't talking about mental illness at all. I mean, people would just be dealing with it by themselves Mm -hmm. or equate it to some kind of madness. Sure. Yeah. They often used to just divide people up as sane and insane people. Then there was issues with like bedlam facilities, which was just dispose of these people. Uh, But when we realize uh, that these are just everyday people who have these issues and, you know, uh, a vast majority of people in the world do have mental health issues, it's become uh, something that's acceptable to speak about. There's many different mental afflictions currently being diagnosed. What types of mental illness are most prevalent in society today? I would say things like depression. Things like uh, anxiety disorders, whether or not it's generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder is quite prevalent. Uh, Even things like manic depression, bipolar. Um, those things are, are, are pretty common while we see them. Uh, this isn't uh, even including things like personality disorders, which can't necessarily be treated, but are also classified underneath uh, mental health. So... Prevention is our first line of defense against mental illness. What steps can we take to fend off some of these illnesses before they happen? To prevent them from happening. It's a very complicated question. I wish I could uh, give more of an insight on that. Um, One thing that I can say, and this is going to deal with the risks in using cannabis, is that there's a lot of recent studies that are quite valid that suggest that if a child, somebody who is, let's say, below the age of 15, Uh, is using cannabis habitually, it can actually lead to increased depression as an adult. So if people want to go into how you can kind of curb mental issues, mental illness, uh, one of them is avoid drugs and alcohol, first off. Uh, I think secondly, um, dealing with things like uh, any sort of emotional stress right away can also help. um, Just like exercise, general health. Exercise, nutrition, things like that can help improve one's mood. Uh, But of course, uh, mood is different than uh, depression. So somebody can be depressed but have a good mood on one day. So we, we have to kind of distinguish those two things. But I would say, yes, take care of your health, take care of your uh, nutrition, avoid drugs, avoid alcohol. Mind, body, spirit is what my mom always used to preach. My mom used to say a lot of things too. <laughs> I don't think we can say them on the podcast right now. If you Google clinical depression on your mobile, it brings up a validated screening questionnaire to mm-hmm. test what your likely level of depression might be. Uh-huh. Are you in favor of practices like this? And is enough being done to get help to the, those who need it most? Okay. Uh, so clinically speaking, uh, surveys, anyone can make a survey. There's a jillion BuzzFeed surveys that aren't worth the bandwidth that it takes to put them up. Uh, clinic- I think Google did uh, partner with like the American or some... I'll get the stats on that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you're right. It, mm-hmm. it does seem a little... Uh, you, you just need to know which survey you're filling out. Uh, there are some things that, let's say, a doctor will ask you. Like a common mnemonic that they teach all medical students is called Siggy Caps. And Siggy Caps is actually a lot of the different symptoms that somebody who is dealing with something like major depressive uh, would have. So things like sleep, interest, guilt energy levels, uh, concentration, uh, any issues involving appetite, you know, whether an increase or decrease, any sort of psychomotor involvement or any sort of suicidal ideation. So that is like the standard. If you're having uh, those type of disturbances, you may be diagnosed with uh, major depressive disorder. So keep an eye out. Sicky caps. Look it up. If you have a, a friend that has been to medical school, uh, they will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say sticky caps. But any of those things, any of those criteria that I just mentioned there, if you find that those have changed in a very significant way, please do talk with your, your physician uh, about uh, about depression because you may have them. So, Good, good call. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just rely on Google. Go um, go get help. Yeah, that's one of the phenomenon we're seeing quite a bit uh, nowadays just because people have an access to the Internet and to all of the information that's ever been made, people often do like a little bit of research and then think that they're an expert on something. So they go, oh no, I have this. And they don't speak with their physician or they speak with their physician and they talk down to a doctor that's been studying this for the you know yeah. decades because they read a Google article on it. So just be careful. But if you find that you're having any of those symptoms involving uh, you know, sleep, interest, guilt, all that other stuff, uh, please speak with your doctor. So treatment for mental illness is usually multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to the benefits of combining treatments as opposed to using medication alone? Okay. Um, people can get a lot of help through things like uh, therapy. Uh, it helps quite a bit just to deal with the symptoms. Medication itself uh, is fine, but it needs to be combined with something else. So there's a lot of different treatment modalities, and it's very rare that you only given one. So to put it on an equal term with like another disease, let's take diabetes, right? Uh, diabetes has been accepted as a medical condition for a long time. And very rarely do they only give you one form of treatment. They're not just going to start you on just insulin. They'll usually give you diet modifications and metformin and all these other drugs. We need to look at depression and anxiety and mental issues the same way. Relying on one thing will not be enough. You need different forms of it. So I would say a lot of lifestyle changes. Uh, therapy is fantastic. And then if uh, pharmaceutical intervention is necessary, you can go forward with that. So you mentioned pharmaceuticals. Um, I'd love to touch on that before we get to cannabis. What are the medications currently being used to treat? I'm going to have to get more specific here. Let's go with depression as an example. Mm -hmm. What pharmaceuticals are currently being used to treat depression and what are the side effects? Sure. Uh, The top one is called an SSRI. Now that stands for a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So serotonin, consider that like one of your happy neurotransmitters. And it keeps it um, in the synapse between... Uh, the neurons, and this way you have more of an effect with the serotonin that's there. It keeps your body from reuptaking it, hence the name. Now, the side effects are numerous and they are unpleasant. Now, this isn't to say that if you are on an SSRI and you're having a good track record, you should stop it. That is not what I'm saying, but just for full disclosure, things like weight gain is a common one. Uh, Also, things like sexual side effects. People will find that they have decreased libido uh, if they're taking SSRIs for a long time. Uh, they might find that they have um, issues involving sleep. Their sleep might change. Uh, issues involving their mood might also change. So people just need to be aware of this. And uh, if you are taking SSRI, uh, please do ask your physician what you should be expecting in that uh, in that realm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. 
Now let's get into how cannabis fits into all of this. Which afflictions can benefit from cannabis and which patients should avoid it? Okay. Now I would say if you have any history of schizophrenia or psychosis, you should be avoiding cannabis. If you have a first degree relative with schizophrenia or psychosis, you should be very, very careful. The reason is uh, the use of cannabis can actually sensitize the brain to dopamine. And dopamine is actually the neurotransmitter that is the cause of schizophrenia. So... What cannabis will do is it'll sensitize your brain to it, so a small amount of dopamine will have a large effect. Large amounts of dopamine can cause schizophrenic episodes, psychotic episodes, so avoid it. Uh, in terms of the people who should be using cannabis, the number one, I would say, is PTSD. Now, just to cite a study that was done, uh, this was done by, I believe, Dr. Greer. I think I'm 100% right on that one. Dr. Greer found that uh, there was a 75% reduction in PTSD symptoms with uh, just mild use of cannabis. 75% reduction. I believe the study was done in New Mexico, and it really changed the way that the government looked at uh, veterans accessing this. So if you have PTSD issues, uh, you should uh, look into cannabis if you're not getting any relief. Uh, there was another one done by Dr. McCollum, who was the guy that actually studied and discovered the endocannabinoid system. He did this study and they found that there was a huge drop in uh, hyperarousal, which is one of the, uh, the main symptoms of PTSD with, again, I think it was five milligrams of cannabis a day. So a microdose of cannabis can actually decrease one of the main issues in PTSD, which is phenomenal. Um, getting into other ones, anxiety. Anxiety is uh, very interesting because we have an area in our brain that's called the amygdala, and this deals with things like fear. Now, the amygdala is bathed in CB1 receptors, which respond to things like THC. So if you use THC, you can actually have a decrease in fear. So people tend to not be as uh, uptight. They tend to not be as... Uh, in that flight or fight mode as mm -hmm. well. Uh, and the way that you use it also affects this. If someone was vaping, let's say, if they had panic disorder, that's great because you don't have 30 minutes to an hour to wait if you have a panic attack for your edible to kick in or your ult to kick in. You should be vaping, you should be inhaling it. Um, in the same way, we also need to look at CBD. Now, CBD is great for decreasing the incidence of anxiety. So if you have anxiety, it's not going to get rid of it right away, but you're going to have less anxiety over time. Uh, and the reason is because uh, CBD actually stops the degradation of something that's called um, – it, this is this is great. I'm going into such such crazy detail here, it's okay, it's but okay. it, it stops the degradation of anandamide. And anandamide right. is an analog, so it, it's very very similar. The molecules are homologous to THC. Right. In fact, when THC goes into your body, uh, it mimics anandamide. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what CBD does is it stops uh, anandamide, that happy molecule, from uh, degrading. So the use of CBD consistently can actually decrease the incidence of anxiety over a long period of time. Excellent. It's fascinating. Um, and while we're in the weeds, um, can we talk about Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to suggest for Alzheimer's, because there is a lot of studies that are coming out now. Um, some of them are pro-cannabis for Alzheimer's. Some of them are actually anti-cannabis for Alzheimer's. But I would say if somebody has any of the major issues, any of the major clinical indications for the use of cannabis, then they should use it. But it's not a cure for Alzheimer's. There's no uh, clinical evidence for that. But if someone, let's say, is having Alzheimer's issues and dealing with you know, sleep disturbance or they're dealing with uh, a lot of panic issues, then they can use cannabis for that. But it's not a treatment. It's especially not a first-line treatment for something like Alzheimer's. Okay. Excellent. Education is such a crucial part of um, successfully recovering from a mental illness. I personally went through Alberta Health Services when dealing with my own depression and anxiety, but my journey was very difficult because of my cannabis use. I felt they would rather dismiss it than get into the specifics either for fear or lack of knowledge. 
I now use CBD, as we were just talking about, to control my anxiety. It's literally brought me back to life again. Nice. And I haven't felt depressed in over a year. Good. Do you see healthcare organizations like Alberta Health Services being more accepting of cannabis use in the future? I see them being accepting of it, but not willing to normalize it. Uh, again, cannabis is very rarely a first-line treatment. Uh, so I think that they could look at somebody using CBD positively and say, yeah, great, if it's working, keep doing it, but they're not going to encourage somebody to be using it right away. They're probably going to start you off on things like benzodiazepines. Yeah, and unfortunately, I went through so many medications that turned me into a zombie before getting the cannabis. Sure. I don't f- – you're right, it's not a first-line defense, but should it be? I am not the one to make that call. Uh, the training in me says cannabis should be a third, fourth, or last line treatment. Um, if you are using cannabis and you disclose this to your physician, it may or may not sway them one way or another. They might say, yes, you're using it, just fine, keep, keep going for it. Or they might just say, if you're using this uh, and you've been self-medicating, we're not going to advocate you using this at all. So it is a touchy subject. I understand that completely. Uh, the, one of the benefits, though, of, of using cannabis, if I could just disclose this, is that there is no withdrawal symptoms. So let's say a benzodiazepine for something like anxiety. So they might start you off on, uh, let's say, Ativan. Ativan is a very fast-acting benzodiazepine or Alprazolam or Xanax, as you might know it. Uh, when you get off of those drugs, uh, it actually causes rebound anxiety. So when you stop taking them, you find yourself being more anxious as the withdrawal of it. Yeah, totally. And like right now I'm just drinking coffee. So let's use coffee as an example, just a little bit of science time here. So I'm drinking coffee because it makes me feel energetic. But if I don't drink coffee for several days, I am a slug. I'm literally a blob on the floor because it, the opposite of the drug is what the withdrawal does. So right. if you're using uh, benzodiazepine for anxiety and you stop taking it for some reason or you miss a dose, you will find your anxiety is way worse. Cannabis does not have this same uh mode of action when you stop taking it right and i actually want to get into that little my next or near the end did i jump the gun there we, talk, get a, into a we talk a little bit about addiction but um the that's because, because cd1 receptors are not down regulated okay so let's use this as an example uh let's say i'm addicted to opiates i love heroin or i someone's going to take this as a soundbite just me saying i love heroin <laughs> and use it against me but let's say uh, i love heroin or i love uh Hydromorph or something like that. If I take enough of it, my body will say this is doing damage and it will start to get rid of those receptors. So I will need more to get the same effect. So therefore, I am addicted to it, right? The same amount that could get me an effect six months ago will not get me the same effect now. Right. That's addiction and that can lead to things like dependency. Right. Cannabis does not do that. CB1 receptors don't do that. So while we're talking about addiction, which is a very hot topic issue due to the opioid crisis, Mm -hmm. Um, some describe addiction as the mental illness. AA, for example, defines alcoholism as a disease. Others see addiction as a symptom of mental illness. In your opinion, what's the relationship between mental illness and addiction? That is a very loaded question that would take a whole nother podcast to get into. Because one of the things I focused on was the treatment of opiates. So I'm not sure if I can go into all of that detail right now. Am I going to classify uh, addiction as a disease? No. I will say that it is a condition. I'm not going to necessarily say there's a pathology to it most of the time. Uh, but if we want to get into that, we're going to need a whole different podcast. So okay, I'm going to defer that question. Excellent. We'll save it for the future then. Um, so 
My other question was just about why cannabis isn't physically addictive. Um, I think we kind of answered that. that we just, yeah, we actually just <laughs> answered that right with the. Also, it won't kill you. That's another thing, too. Uh, just making it so, uh, you know, it, it has a great safety profile. Uh, and that also helps with it. So it not being addictive and being completely safe is something that that helps it out. We covered pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else you'd like to add um, on the whole? And it's a huge, like, this is something that we could do an episode for depression. We could do an episode for anxiety. Oh, yeah. I could get into so, so much detail here. Um, it's another loaded question, but mm-hmm. is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? Sure. Uh, be careful. I'm a very balanced person. Uh, I do advocate the use of cannabis in a lot of situations, of course, but uh, again, you can get addicted to anything. You can get addicted to the internet. You can get addicted to cheeseburgers. You can get addicted to cannabis. You can. It can be a habit, not like a physical addiction. Or a dependency. behavioral addiction, not sure, a physical yeah, addiction. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, so just be careful. You know, Of course, young people should not be using it because there is a documented and pronounced risk of depression and anxiety later on in life, like after the age of 21. So just be careful. Uh this is not some sort of magic plant that'll, you know, a lot of people think it is. No, there are risks that go along with everything. You know, let's say someone is depressed and they have issues involving appetite in that they eat too much. Uh, you need to be aware of your cannabis use. If you have sleep issues uh, where you're sleeping too much, be aware of the type of cannabis that you're using. If you're sleeping too little, be aware of the type of cannabis you're using. And I know that we could go into that another time, just the different types of cannabis, the difference between indicas and sativas, the difference between even just different terpenes and the way that they can help with uh, different issues involving mental health, because they do. Um, but just be very aware, um, everything in moderation, and uh, know what you're doing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ife, for joining us for a third week in a row. We did get some news today. Um on the Alberta framework. So hopefully next week we can have someone from operations stop in. Mm. Uh, so it's not such a burden for you to always be on the show. Or is it really that bad? Is this your subtle way of firing me or something? No, no. Yeah. I just, I just feel bad for taking up so much of your time. The next person has really big, big shoes to fill. Yeah, so they I do. They don't, they don't blow it. They do. But either way, thank you so much for all of your insight into mental health and, uh, hope to see you again soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Uh, everyone enjoy the podcast and, uh, hopefully I'll be on later. That wraps it up for another episode of 420 Pod. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. For inquiries about the show, you can contact amber at 420clinic.ca. For everyone here at the 420 Clinic, this is Matthew Lundy, signing off. <laughs>